Hi, this is Janesh. And this is Pranab. You're tuned in to the 30 Minute Hustle podcast. I think my favorite quote uh, is uh, the ship is uh, safest in the harbor. Mm-hmm. Right? But hey, that's not what it's built for. <laughs> so sail away. so i think i think that's what uh, i i'm a, i'm a kind of a risk taker uh, right uh, as much as uh, ridiculous this might sound uh, i i'm i'm happy uh, to go to the coffin with broken bones than being completely safe and having lived a bored a boring life which is why despite uh, all of this uh, after the injury i learned my swimming uh, after this uh, paralysis i've started scuba diving uh, beach surfing and all that stuff so so go and experience the world i think uh, that's what uh, you're made for make your mistakes learn from your mistakes but find different ways to move on in your life hey everyone i'm very grateful to have met and humble to introduce my next guest on the podcast mr justin j sudas justin to me is the living example of the power of human determination and positive thinking he at a very young age met with a major road accident that paralyzed him from the neck down This didn't stop him from rescripting his own life and going on to becoming one of the elite para-athletes of the country. He was also ranked among top 20 swimmers in the world in his category. He did all this while being a father and at the same time also holding a corporate career which was very successful. He now is the CEO of the Spinal Foundation and is actively working with corporates to bring about workplace equity and make sure inclusivity is made mainstream i was very inspired by his story and his journey and i'm sure you will too why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself because i've done a lot of research and i have a huge list but i would like you to just uh, touch upon all the things that you have done yeah right uh, so if i think the most pertinent uh, introduction would be uh, that um, i i had an accident uh, 11 years back uh, and before that i was a person without disability and after that i'm a person with disability uh, i think that's the most pertinent uh, one and of course uh, you know ever since the accident happened uh, it left me paralyzed neck downwards uh, so i'm a quadriplegic um and the journey after that uh, has been more interesting than the journey before that um i picked up sports uh, as an elite athlete i've represented india at the asian games world championship uh, won international medals uh, in swimming uh, i've also been a national level uh, shooter um so i think uh, i think that should be good enough to start so um, i'm just going to go back a little bit justin and then ask you about how you know you grew up as a kid where were you from and and what was what were your aspirations as you grew up right so born and brought up in trichy uh, a town in uh, south india in tamil nadu uh, i think my childhood was very normal a uh, happy childhood uh, from a middle class family very caring parents uh, three siblings all older than me the youngest uh, um, not not very studious uh, but at the same time very curious about uh, extracurricular activities 
uh, be it uh, the school cultural quizzing and all that stuff i was pretty active uh, with uh, ncc the national cadet corps uh, had been the best cadet uh, uh, and uh, that's where i picked up my shooting uh, aspirations as well uh, rifle shooting um so yes uh, very normal uh, childhood uh, but at the same time uh, uh, if i liked something i'd go all out uh, you know trying to do that uh, justin so you've also spoken about how you've grown up like you can also tell us a bit more about what you used to do prior to uh, the accident like what was your professional journey like right, right sure um so yeah as soon as i finished uh, school and college uh, i joined a startup uh, all my life uh, uh, majority of my career has been around research and analytics uh, industry research uh, strategy research understanding what the strengths and weaknesses of companies are uh, supporting mergers and acquisition but this has been across different industries uh, uh, a large part has been in banking uh, Uh, and a little bit in retail but the later part uh, of my research career was into engineering services analyzing uh, what different engineering companies are doing how the iot space uh, connected car space uh, has been moving and all that stuff uh, uh, however uh, that said uh, so this was both before my accident and after my accident uh, that's that's how it has been uh, but in the last 5 months i uh, i took a, a big step um, especially risky for a lot of people i left the uh, comforts of the corporate world uh, left the corporate career and i've taken uh, two different roles one uh, with iit madras's research lab which is called r2d2 it stands for rehabilitation research and device development um, and the other one uh, so that was in the social innovation space uh, and the other one in the disability space where uh, i had a, a organization called uh, the spinal foundation uh, which uh, does uh, research and development projects uh, for the spinal cord injury population so um like there is so much that has happened since the accident type uh, i think we can see there so maybe we could also touch upon the moment that it happened and what it was like after so just a little sure. bit more about that so our audience will also get a context yeah absolutely so uh, when this accident happened i was 29 uh life was going great uh by that definition <laughs> right uh, uh the definition of success at that point was a little different than the definition of success that i have now at that point uh, you need to have a cool car you need to have a house for yourself uh you know you party and all that stuff uh i think i kind of uh, ticked almost all the ch- uh, check boxes at 24 i was owning a, a honda city uh and this is what 2004 In 2004, at 24, if you're owning a Honda City, and that was a dream car at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were having a cool job uh, with one of the world's uh, biggest uh, investment bank and wealth management uh, organization. Uh, so at 27, I when I picked that job, uh, I was the youngest associate director in India for that organization. Um, so it felt like you know you're invincible and life is going great. Uh, so that was the moment this accident happened, uh, and. Uh, i didn't know what uh, what this entailed uh, i didn't know what to expect uh, so the first thing that hit uh, was uncertainty uh, the day when the accident happened uh, itself the doctor said uh, uh, in all probability you're going to be paralyzed neck down for the rest of your life and my reaction was oh okay right uh, and uh, 
honestly i i wouldn't give any credit for myself to react uh, for reacting that way because i didn't know what what it what it means to be paralyzed neck down um you didn't know the later, enorm- you didn't know the enormity of it yeah 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 so uh, uh but one thing that i uh, kept on saying to myself uh, is whatever has happened has happened you can't go and change it uh, it's up to you how you face it and keep moving on uh, um but if i have to give you a peak view of uh, how my mind was at that point uh, so i was in the icu and uh, my family was there my friends were there at any given point in time at least 20 25 folks known to me would be outside waiting and uh, i knew that because a lot of the nurses in say were like who are you you know there are so many people waiting out uh, mm-hmm. for you to you know for, for them to come and see uh but when the fr- when my friends came and saw me uh one of my friends said this and uh, it still sticks into my head justin uh, we don't know what you are doing uh, when when your family comes and uh, meets you here your mom your wife and all uh when they are out they are very sad they come and talk to you when they come out they are happy right so that that was my frame of mind i i didn't know what to expect but at the same time i wasn't going to let myself down uh, for whatever has happened uh but then it's it was only after that you know you go to the rehabilitation and when you start moving on in your life uh you realize that uh you have to make certain decisions when great things were happening uh, uh to me you know promotion after promotion so by 27 i was an associate director and i don't think a lot of uh, people who've done uh, mba from uh, you know top uh, b schools would would be able to achieve that it's it's only very few uh, Uh, that achieved that and i wasn't even having an mba with me from any of these top schools so so i know life was going great and all that stuff and promotions happened when i got a car and all that stuff i never asked why me so i consciously conscious sorry consciously said to myself that i'm not going to ask why this happened to me i'm just not going to let that happen of course even now there are flashes of uh, you know a life before accident and after accident and couldn't have been better would have would have uh, my life been better if that didn't happen and all that stuff it still occurs to me but there is always this other side of my uh, uh, thought process and brain that says what's the point in thinking about it you're only wasting your time because you you have no control over it so um, do i do i become a, a victim of my circumstances or do i script my own story from here and do whatever whatever i wanted was obviously the two choices that uh, were in front of me thankfully i i chose the second one right and i think that made all the difference that is such a strong and 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 i think very few people actually have that sort of a positive mindset into looking at things um i'm sure there's a lot that happened right after the accident and and in your rehabilitation period uh, i i was listening to some of your interviews on how you first didn't have enough um, uh, muscle strength below and your first uh, actual uh, uh, success was trying to brush your teeth am i yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah and and uh, and and it's all about celebrating those small wins and how we sort of come about from there um but i'm sure you had your own period of 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 down when that happened because for everyone when they go through such a huge uh incident in their life they have that what 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 was your mindset then and what actually what was the time when you actually changed your mindset and you decided to rescript your life right right 
uh, i'd say it's it's after a year and a half after my accident uh, until then uh, while while the mindset was positive uh, i was feeling positive and all that stuff uh the f- the physical pressure of what your body is going through you obviously uh being paralyzed and sitting on a wheelchair does not mean that you're only immobile a lot of people think if you're on a wheelchair it's just that inability to walk uh, but a spinal cord injury uh, when i say paralysis you don't have bowel control you don't have bladder control you're vulnerable to urinary tract infections because uh, you know of the bladder management uh you uh, your your blo- uh, blood circulation is very poor because when you're sitting your the blood goes down to your foot and there is no way that it can pump up because the muscle is not working unless your calf muscle works your blood is not going to come up which is why calf muscles called secondary heart because it stores a lot of blood so uh, there's always this postural hypotension so when i'm lying down my blood pressure is 120 by 80 like anybody else but when uh, people like me sit the blood pressure comes to 90 by 60 so mm-hmm. at any given point in time right now my blood pressure is 90 by 60 i can assure you of that but that said if i'm pushing my wheelchair or if i'm doing any exercise it goes as low as 50 by 30 so there are so many complications that you have to deal with right you don't know what's happening it's it's like then it starts taking a toll uh, to your mental well-being as well and the fact that you know and invariably in a country like india your family becomes your caregiver right yeah. uh, they are there all the time with you not living their life you not living your life fully and they you know shadowing you at all times 24 by 7 because they have to support you and it's like you don't know uh, and, what's and what's I really think, happening i think i think in india that's something that we also have to be very grateful for i don't think correct. it happens in a lot of societies too yeah. correct absolutely absolutely uh, right uh, uh, so when that that kind of a thing happens you begin to wonder uh, are you any longer in control of your life and i think we we all want to you know be uh, take control of your uh, of our lives and decide on the next steps right so after a year and a half uh, it it hit me so hard uh, until then uh, my parents my wife uh, were the hands and legs that i didn't have uh, which was no longer working uh, despite knowing the prognosis for a spinal cord injury is very poor uh, and uh, so many examples uh the mind was still saying that uh, maybe you should walk uh, and be uh, with that hope uh, even after understanding what's the science behind it when your spinal cord injury is severed there is no way it's going to connect back and you'd be able to uh, do the things that you once were able to do so the two realizations were uh, why am i focusing on things that i can't control anymore um you know your lower limbs you you can't do anything about it unless there is a scientific intervention and the scientific community comes uh, comes up with some kind of a treatment and for spinal cord injury there is no treatment at all un- until now um, there are some promising treatments that are happening but that that's for another uh, time probably 5 years 10 years down um, so this this aspect of why can't i shift my uh, focus on things that i can control because i still have very normal shoulders and my biceps are also normal of course my triceps are affected uh, very little function in my wrist and no functions in my uh, fingers so that was the first realization right uh, the second realization obviously was uh, i am not living my life i am not letting people around me uh, live their lives uh, and uh, of, of course it's okay to be partially dependent interdependent but being completely dependent was not a happy scene to be at, right and, and imagine 
one and a half years if if they've been taking care of you it would have taken a toll on them as well exactly so yeah. so yeah. i wanted to move away from that and i think that was the turning point uh, and i think uh, there was no turning back after that uh, um so did you I, were you also uh, professionally working during uh, those one and a yeah. half years because that could yeah. also keep your mind a little bit occupied right uh, the first thing uh, as soon as i uh, Uh, i was out of icu uh, my mind resolved saying that i have to be financially independent at least wow <laughs> while physically i am going to be dependent but uh, financially i have to be independent otherwise it's a very very bad state to be in uh, so so yes that that's a resolve that i took for myself uh, and uh, after i started you know kind of piecing all of this together uh, it uh, after that realization for 3 months i said to myself come what may i'm just going to strengthen my shoulders and biceps and that's when it opened uh, me to a lot of possibilities and it also made me realize uh, right uh, while uh, disability can be measured through uh, a lot of doctors uh, saying that okay this muscle has this much uh, grade and they add it up and then they say you are 90% disabled you are 95% disabled and all that stuff uh, a condition like me uh, depending on the doctor it can be anywhere from 90 to 100% but the fact that i'm doing everything that i used to do before accident makes me realize physically you need so little to be as active as a person without disability so i think that that was a realization and like a lot of this we can see that there was a lot of obvious like physical activity that has also helped you move past what has happened and we know like janesh and i discussed and we, you have you know excelled so much at sports and you've won so many medals you've obviously made india proud at the paralympic stage so how did that transition into sports and happen and how has that also helped you shape your life ahead after that so um so this was uh, so 2009 my accident happened this realization happened sometime in 2011 uh, so 2012 i said to myself uh, okay so this accident happened in a car i was uh, driving too fast and i crashed and all that stuff so what i have to get back to driving uh, for two reasons one i absolutely enjoyed driving uh, and the second one is uh, i have to be independent if i have to be mobile i have to get back to driving I have one question Justin was it also for me I would think of it as also trying to face my fear was that also there for you No I I don't think the fear was there uh, but I'll tell you what somewhere in hindsight now when I think it was also to prove a point <laughs> prove a point uh, to my uh, parents to people around me that uh, disability ne- does not necessarily mean less ability right uh, so so yeah i i set my mind thinking in terms of how i can design the car how i can modify i've seen instances of paraplegics who are paralyzed waist down or chest down or driving a car who have good finger control so if they can do it then you don't need legs to drive so it's only the adaptations for my uh, for the lack of finger functions that i have to compensate and uh, so i i have always believed that uh, there are always multiple ways of doing things right uh, the car was designed by a guy who did not have disability similarly uh, you know uh, we talk about accessibility and all that stuff this world is largely designed and run by people who don't have disability and therefore there are inequities in in, in this world that's the only reason there is inequity for a manufacturing setup somebody put that manufacturing setup 
uh, and the person who did that is a person without disability now imagine if the same person had a disability and they had put a manufacturing setup the world is like you know that's exactly what i think of right imagine if the majority of the world's population has a disability probably you know you both will have a difficulty you know moving around exactly yeah <laughs> i i wrote in my recent blog saying that if the world majority of the world's population is a person uh, are people with blindness then you don't need light at all yeah. <laughs> and shruti and janesh would be struggling without light you will be the minority unfortunately yeah. today the population with disability is the minority mm-hmm. right so so uh, yeah uh, coming back to this uh, journey uh, car uh, try to you know kind of come up with something which i can uh, work on and uh, found a solution modified it uh, now i i've done uh, close to 100000 kilometers in my car uh, done long drives from chennai to hyderabad chennai to bangalore chennai to kerala uh, 700 kilometers in one stretch and all that stuff without taking breaks uh, so when the driving thing happened i realized that i am i'm no longer that dependent as i used to be now my family was depending on me for going for shopping for a vacation from one town to another town and all that stuff so that kind of uh, flipped the entire uh, narrative um, and we started becoming interdependent and it was also for me uh, despite the fact that you know now i could push a wheelchair and all that stuff uh, that was only personal mobility individual mobility but when you drive a car it kind of gives you you know let's say some amount of power back to you yeah that you yeah. can move around and you can take people also along with you i was just going to say that it gives you such happiness when you see one and a half years people taking care of you giving back to them correct. also yeah. correct correct so when that started happening i thought uh, okay now let's start becoming a little physically active apart from just strength train uh, strength training uh, let's do some uh, sport or something uh, i played basketball before my accident for my company and all that stuff corporate uh, team and all so why not basketball uh, and only after i went to the basketball court i realized uh, i'll not be able to shoot the ball because i don't have triceps and for basketball you need the tricep push Uh, to shoot uh, but despite that we were seven of us all of the other people were paraplegics and i started feeding the ball uh, to them um, and i was very interested in the sport but uh, only after two three weeks i realized because of the architectural barrier and lack of public transportation nobody is going to come uh, on a regular basis from uh, i would drive around 18 kilometers from my home to this place uh, basketball court which was accessible uh, and after 3 or 4 weeks there were only two of us the other person had to be there because it was in that person's community otherwise even that person wouldn't have come so, uh, so uh, basketball happened that way and then i realized okay two things one um, team sport might not work at this point in time i have to probably pick up a solo sport and the basketball little basketball that i played uh, feeding the ball made me also realize my stamina and my lung capacity is pretty poor because i was not able to you know push the wheelchair for a long time and feed the ball uh, that's when i thought why not swimming you know uh, you're paralyzed neck downwards in water the bo- uh, weight uh, water will take care of your weight and you have to just you know try and uh, be there of course uh, this course on the flip side what if you drown you know um, most part of your body is not uh, working and uh, what would you do um, you can't even hold something because you don't have finger control and your fingers are paralyzed 
um and i still remember uh, that drive from my home uh, to this place about 15 kilometers i go there uh, the lifeguards were absolutely terrified saying how are we even going to let you in uh, at least you know a paraplegic they can hold it you'll not even be able to hold um, after you know uh, convincing them quite a bit they said put a floater around you get into the water obviously floater would do its job mm-hmm. and i was floating and there's no point in doing that right uh, something else is taking care of uh, what needs to be done uh, i convinced that uh, lifeguard to get inside um, take off the floater and i was able to float and in a very awkward way after a point in time i started you know uh, uh, swimming and all that stuff and from uh, one end to other end of the 50 meter pool it looked like eternity for me the very first time when i did it but from there on you know a little by little uh, going there every single day without missing uh, 3 months down i was able to do uh, uh, 700 800 meters uh, participated in my uh, first uh, state level competition uh, but beyond the fact that i won four goals what actually was very satisfying uh, was the fact that uh, paraplegics or people who had amputation Uh, which this this means that uh, they have lesser physical uh, impairment or deficits than me and they were s- swimming slower than me wow. so i really thought there is some potential here and i think we should use it to the best possible way that's when i, I uh, seriously started considering competitive swimming um uh, signed up myself in a uh, in a, s- a sports science center where i can actually you know uh, uh, work out every day uh, and when i went to the nationals uh, i was even more confident and uh, won three goals at my first uh, national this was in 2014 in indore uh, uh, november 2014 when i did my first uh, nationals uh, and this was uh, how how soon after you started swimming this was 7 uh, months wow. after i started wow. february yeah february i started uh, uh, swimming uh, just for uh, you know uh, fitness uh serious swimming happened sometime in uh, march april uh july we had the state november we had the nationals uh apart from winning three goals and swimming faster than the other categories so in para sports you have different categories depending on what your disability is so that there is equity there uh but beyond all that i realized that i had qualified for all the international open championships with the timing that i clocked so i think that was uh, very very satisfying 2015 uh, uh, march first international competition went to canada uh, canam championship won three goals there and then i had qualified for the world championship while all the international championships you if you have the time you can participate uh, world championship it, it has to be by invitation oh. so they have to invite you so i had clocked the time they had invited uh, went to glasgow in uh, in uh, 2015 uh, july Uh, and this this all this, all of this in one year and 3 months uh, and i finished in the top 15 in the world uh, so it it was very very exciting that entire journey uh, but in hindsight if people ask me what what was different uh, what did i do different because there are a lot of people who come to the state competitions uh, out of which it all gets filtered and uh, every year in in national championship there are close to around 500 to 700 people who participate Uh, out of which only 10 or 15 make it to international championships and out of that uh, i think in india only f- uh, 3 or 4 have ever made to the world championship um so if you ask me how uh, the only thing that i'll say is going for training every day not missing a day's mm-hmm. training i think that that makes all the difference a lot of people try to do this uh, go to the nationals for a government job 
some be- people try and you know go for a, to get a medal i think forget about uh, what the output is as long as you enjoy it and do it with passion every day uh, i i am a firm believer if the input is great output will take care of itself like obviously you have achieved so much and there is so much strength in what you have displayed right and what often happens is like you are able to achieve it and i know that india has like one of the highest say number of people with disabilities and sadly like you said our systems are not built for it and so everyday challenges become really important and i know this is something you are addressing as well in the sense that you are trying to build an ecosystem sort of around you which focuses on equity and not equality so i noticed that so i definitely want you to touch upon what um, social equity means to you and what you are doing to uh, you know work around right. it and improve it absolutely so uh, i'm glad you use the term uh, equity and you yes. also brought up the subtle difference between equi- equality and uh, equity but yeah. even before that uh, i want to uh, you know point out and i'm sure that a lot of people from the corporate world would be listening to this um, a lot of uh, the initiatives if you see they're called dni diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion yeah. no company ever mentions equity because a lot of people don't know about equity um, equity is what is required and when equity is there diversity and inclusion automatically happens a lot of people yeah. don't realize that you build a place with workplace equity and automatically you know people with uh, diverse backgrounds will come there and feel included uh, so dni is an initiative uh, equity is a process that you have to keep building and uh, improving upon um, and on this note uh, i want to you know kind of draw a parallel so that everybody understands in a very simple way what a diversity inclusion and equity mean um, so imagine you're hosting a party in your house right inviting everybody is diversity inviting just inviting that is diversity now after they've come home right if you don't care about who joins uh, for a dance then it's not inclusion you have to ask everybody to participate so after you invited everyone asking them to participate is inclusion but if you want them to dance and if you have the dance floor 5 uh, foot away from the floor where there is no wheelchair accessibility then you've not created equity so yeah. or or you know you you put a music that not everybody is able to hear uh, things like that so that is equity so diversity inclusion equity. equity if you want the party to happen you have to take care of all the three but the most important in that is to create an environment for everybody to participate now often people with disability itself don't understand that and they say i need equality for god's sake if you get equality you will not be able to achieve a lot of things right equity is that platform and if i have to give an example from my own life the hand modification in my car is equity yeah i am driving my car in the same road that you drive the same traffic you drive i can't demand just because i have a disability i need a separate lane right mm-hmm. so the environment the the benchmark the expectation and the goal setting uh, to what to achieve has to be same for everybody just because i have a disability doesn't mean i need a 3 or a 5 out of uh, in your performance appraisal rating or my goals or my responsibilities have to be reduced 
that that should not be the case and a lot of managers get this wrong because when i talk to corporates managers say how can i you know tell that uh, person uh, that they they have not met uh, their goals it's a very difficult conversation for me to uh, have with them saying that you've not achieved what we expect you to achieve so therefore you know uh, you can't pursue this my my logic is pretty simple if you have workplace equity don't worry about what their uh, you know uh, performance thing is if they've not performed well you should show the door but if you've not created that equity your intention is questioned here right yeah. so create that workplace equity and then there is a level playing field for everybody and we don't have to become economic baggages if you i don't know how many of you realize that right um, a lot of people with disability get disability pension hmm. a lot of welfare measures for people with disability go from your pocket from the tax that you pay so if you need that create an equity so that we don't become an economic baggage to the country and researchers say that if you don't include people with disability in the regular walk of life and create a livelihood opportunity for them 5 to 7% of gdp for that country is lost and in indian parlance we are talking about 100 billion dollars 100 yeah. to 120 billion dollars when you are not including people with disability and as i said already you know population with disability is your world's largest minority yeah we're talking about 1 billion 1 billion people in the world having disability and in my personal opinion in india we're talking about anywhere from uh, 80 to 100 million people with disabilities yeah wow. and in life you don't see them so they are still invisible right in your favorite uh, movie hall uh, restaurant beach park have you ever seen or how often have you uh, do you see persons with disability With, with this amount of population if you don't see something is wrong i'm i'm just going back to what i studied and um, I, one is what you spoke about how uh, workplace equity should be imbibed in in everyone second thing is the physical part um, i do believe that i was taught a lot about disability and how to design for it but um, the impact i mean the the importance of it was not as much and and now talking to you i understand so much and and in fact in in i think what the biggest thing i'm going to take away from this is the fact that i'm going to keep looking at my spaces not only thinking about all the stakeholders which you never think about a disab- disabled stakeholder or a differently able stakeholder or whatever you want to call it uh, but that is first my mindset and second thing i would like to ask you is from an architect's point of view what do you see as maybe an architect has done it or a designer has done it for a differently abled person um but what do you think can be done better what is equity right it's also called social justice it's also called reasonable accommodation right what is that if if i have to go a step further is whatever inequity is there you're trying to balance it if you have if you have steps and a person in a wheelchair can't go you put a ramp that's the reasonable accommodation right now how often do we realize when there is a ramp there is no need for steps yeah a simple thought process right yeah. Yeah. only when you have steps you need a ramp but when you have ramp you don't need steps now this goes to the story where you know uh, there is a lot of snowing that happens and this guy using a shovel uh, clears the snow uh for a school and the children are waiting and uh, uh a 
person on a, the children the child on a wheelchair goes and asks can you clear the ramp uh, snow in the ramp so that i can use it this guy says look at the number of people who are waiting to go into the school and they're all people children without disability let me first clear the steps and then clear the ramp this child very politely points out if you clear it for the ramp everybody can use the ramp right that's that's one thought process right uh, you have a barrier you try to find an alternative trying to get, get that reasonable accommodation but can we really build a world which doesn't have barrier at all only when there is a barrier you need an alternative yeah how about creating universal designs yeah right i've been to a place uh, two years back when i went on an exchange program a uh, university of uh, alabama has this uh, recreational center which doesn't have barrier at all right even the uh, pathways for, and doors uh, except for the front door they don't even have doors and they have two uh, uh, parallel walls you know slightly you know uh, uh, getting on to each other so that you just have to zigzag and navigate you don't need even doors because having a door for a quadriplegic opening and closing is a challenge yeah. so cre- starting to create universal designs uh, you have these zippers and flies in your bag and otherwise uh recently you started seeing in all of that there is a small loop yes right with yeah, yeah attached to it i okay. can just put my finger into it and just grab it yeah. otherwise i i can't hold i don't have fine motor skills how do i use it so starting to think in those directions creating universal design is extremely important uh so to an architect i would say don't create a barrier and try to find a solution for that barrier yeah i was just yes. thinking about your university of alabama uh, uh, and i was just envisioning it and and i was thinking that you know for a person who is uh, uh, differently able or disabled if he goes to that kind of a place if he feels that there is no barrier he himself is not going to feel anything about himself right <laughs> and 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 uh, if i've already designed it in that particular that that a normal person is not even feeling that then that is how we should think about you know absolutely using, yeah, absolutely so design. so when you do that i so if i have to take a step back right today uh, when you see a person with a disability uh, when i say you larger society yeah. the first thing that comes to your mind is sympathy yes right, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because that sympathy stems from the fact that somewhere deep in your mind you know that uh, disability means lesser ability they are not able to do that kind of a thought process is already there it's it's there it's that's how the social uh, thought process is it has to change that's the narrative um, but if i have to you know take take that a step further uh, when a person with a disability falls and gets up or for that matter even if they don't work right we consider them to be either an inspiration or a brave person that's the yeah. first thing that comes a person with a disability means inspiration brave uh, which which points to the fact that the benchmark for a person with a disability is abysmally low low, low. Yeah. Mm-hmm. when you expect low they will only deliver low deliver. Uh, the covid lockdown uh, taught me a lot of things uh, that i can be absolutely uh, independent without anybody's help uh, uh, a to z uh, taking care of the house taking care of myself and all that stuff uh, Uh, it also opened up a lot of possibilities in terms of you know for me to go back uh, to the rehabilitation space uh, to the physical medicine rehabilitation doctors physiatrists to tell them that hey uh, while we uh, rehabilitate the persons with severe disabilities and people with spinal cord injury i think we should start incorporating a small module in the program called uh, disaster management uh, 
for uh, in the rehabilitation space for people with disability to manage uh, themselves uh, especially you know when there is a resource uh, crunch uh, how do you manage uh, i think we should move away from the model of you know just uh, ticking the box in terms of functional rehabilitation and the end goal of all uh, rehabilitation programs should be community participation because mm-hmm. if you are not making them participate in the community after rehabilitation then uh, the efficacy and the success of rehabilitation program is zero so here justin i have a question as well earlier like what we have discussed we can see that obviously the system and people around you play a very integral role in making what you do successful right so sadly even though disability is obviously common it's not being recognized as much as it should have or should be so i want to know how do you make uh, inclusivity mainstream yeah so um, it's 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 a bit of a complex uh, problem right a complex challenge one uh, and it's it's kind of also a chicken and egg problem uh, yeah. people with disability don't come out uh right uh, only when they come out uh, there will be an awareness and uh, people without disability or the authorities will realize that uh, there is an issue and they need to do something uh so the excuse that people with disability make is the world is not accessible and therefore we will not come out mm-hmm. right and the authorities is like we don't know what your demand is or what you need unless you come out how will we know so that's that's where it uh, it is so i think uh we'll have to get all the stakeholders um uh together uh, the authorities need to understand uh, we'll have to sensitize them make them more aware uh, what the challenges are um we'll have to bring in the ngos that are doing the good work uh, um on equal footing and say that hey you're an equal contributor now give us your thoughts um we'll have to start uh, you know uh, identifying success stories despite uh, people you know like whatever you guys are doing right uh bring to this kind of a platform uh, people with disability so that they can start speaking about the challenges so that everyone is uh, aware and i think this is one area where corporates can actually take the initiative and can be the trailblazers which unfortunately is not the case at the moment uh, i think uh, most of the corporates the dni initiatives are only scratching the surface it's not really trying to create an ecosystem uh to actually you know uh, make it as a sustainable initiative so i think uh, given the funding and the profitability and the csr funds that they have in hand i i think the corporates can do more and create an example and a model that uh, the government can actually um, emulate um if i have to you know even give a small example i don't i have not seen a single corporate um, hiring advertisement which says this role is open for people with disability uh, or uh, so and so disability yeah uh, i think they that's that's a first step that they can uh, start doing uh, and i think that will make a lot of difference mm-hmm. nice so um we're going to go on some fun questions <laughs> just we spoke a lot about <laughs> equity and and of course that's very important but um we have a couple of fun questions that we like to ask um just to make it a little lighter uh what would you tell or advise your 21 year old self ah okay that's a good question um uh, i i think at 21 you're brash and aggressive uh uh while uh 
you need some of the qualities when you are in 21 uh, to push yourself uh, forward in in a faster manner because when you age you take things slowly because of the wisdom that you get i i mm-hmm. wish that i had 50% of the wisdom that i have now and and i'll tell you what 10 years down i'd still say the same thing that uh, you yeah. know at 50 i had the wisdom uh, in 40 a little bit of uh, this wisdom uh, would probably uh, would be helpful yeah. <laughs> and what is that specific wisdom that you would like to impart on your 21 year old self yeah i think uh, i think doing things right is more important uh um more than uh, legally i think ethically uh keeping people so if i have to just sum it up with one word uh, compassion uh if you have compassion in your heart uh, i think everything else uh, gets better uh today forget about disability for a second the corporate world or you know uh, the business side of things are so aggressive and pushy that it's no longer inclusive right it's okay to slow it down and have it inclusive you would rather have an inclusive harmonious world than pushing for aggressive development right because without inclusion you're not truly developing anything so you you'd rather be more diverse and inclusive than being uh, uh, you know that five extra percent profit <laughs> yeah and like dustin here's where for us as we come to like the end of our uh, podcast nearing the end of our podcast i also want to know like what is it that you do to keep your mental well being on par with your physical well being physical we can see you've obviously uh, done a lot and achieved a lot but i think a lot of us are struggling especially now with covid around and you know it'll be nice to know what you do to yeah keep up so yeah i i think it's interesting that you asked that question okay mm-hmm. uh, i i will start on a serious note and then light now uh, on yes. a serious note uh, what what uh, what the population without disability is facing in the last one year and three months is what for decades population with disability has been facing i was just going to ask yeah. that because i yeah. felt like like what we are facing now is yeah. uh like just for you guys like what the hell we did this already <laughs> yeah yeah for for the last 11 years and i i know people uh, for 20 years 30 years have been just you know confined in their homes uh, not uh, able to come out uh, because of societal perception because of architectural barriers attitudinal barriers so so a uh, point here is when the world open up opens up uh, please start thinking in this direction that you know you can make the world inclusive um uh, yeah so i i think uh, definitely uh, that uh, but the virus is trying to survive right it's on its survival mode and it, you know we all know the darwinian theory that survival of the fittest right yeah. so it's trying all possible way to uh, mutate move around and uh, create a space for itself right and and we are trying the opposite we are trying to kill it i think when when we know the enemy is formidable and extremely strong which is the case now we have to just outlive it with our patience right we have to be smart about it we have to just outlive it than trying to go and fight it um and i think that little bit of patience before the scientific community comes up with something even more foolproof uh, you know better solution in terms of medication in terms of a more effective vaccination um we'll have to just wait it out and i think um, it's like rocky right uh, you know the enemy is strong <laughs> you just take the punch you know just hang in there 
such and an live, analogy yeah, i love yeah, that analogy yeah to beat it another day as simple as that i think that's that's something that we all have to develop um especially the younger generation gets very restless and impatient and looks for instant gratification right uh, you 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 want to do a startup today and the next day you want to be a millionaire or a billionaire mm. mm-hmm. hang in there learn learn enjoy the process you will get there eventually but i think uh, being patient uh, is a very important virtue don't seek for uh, instant gratification but gratitude is much more important than looking for instant gratification so true um if you had a billboard uh, justin what would you write there i think my favorite quote uh, is uh, the ship is uh, safest in the harbor mm-hmm. right but hey that's not what it's built for <laughs> so sail away so i think i think that's what uh, i i'm a, i'm a kind of a risk taker uh, right uh, as much as uh, ridiculous this might sound uh, i i'm i'm happy uh, to go to the coffin with broken bones than being completely safe and having lived a bored a boring life which is why despite uh, all of this uh, after the injury i learned my swimming uh, after this uh, paralysis i've started scuba diving uh, beach surfing and all that stuff so so go and experience the world i think uh, that's what uh, you're made for make your mistakes learn from your mistakes but find different ways to move on in your life <laughs> she's two and a half years old <laughs> right in front of me she's like stand <laughs> like i'm trying to explain she wouldn't listen stand uh, when when we have these twins we thought we'll sail through and things would be fine but when you go through that process you realize there is more complexity to it uh, right um, so so the sporting career for now uh, is uh, shelved uh, but i'm still hoping that when they uh, grow after 2 3 years i want to revive the shooting uh, still because i i still feel uh, with shooting i have a potential and i i could still you know do uh, bigger things um so that's that's on the sport i am waiting for it um as much as i would have liked to uh, write a book um i just can't uh, drive myself to actually write a book uh, yet maybe in the next 5 years uh immediately you know now that i'm involved in the social innovation space uh, with assistive technologies and the disability space uh, uh for the the foundation that i'm working for uh, heading the foundation i want a registry up and running um um because today persons with spinal cord injury are not accounted for they're not identified they're not accounted for a few decades back spinal cord injury uh, was one condition which is uh, the treatment for it was uh, leave them to die right that's mm. the population yeah this uh, you know when you have that kind of a disability fortunately in the last 2 3 decades uh, we've seen the rehabilitation science evolve to at least teach us to manage the disability uh, but how would you manage when you don't know where they are so uh, if you go by who estimates india should be having anywhere from 5 lakh to 10 lakh of these severely disabled people who have spinal cord injury today in our network we only know probably around 15000 people or 20000 people we are talking about less than uh, 5% or less than 2% so we will have to identify that uh, those people and we will have to create a scientific registry which can talk with registries in the western world they all have established registries so if we want future research to happen that needs to happen so the next one or two years uh, from this uh, standpoint i want a registry uh, up and running a seamless registry and along with it research programs because today if you see 
I see very, very, very few NGOs put development projects based on science, backed mm-hmm. by science. A lot of people are passionate and they just want to do development projects just for the sake of it. There is hardly any uh, development project which is backed by the scientific data. So if I start at this point where I you know, come up with research uh, programs, then a lot of NGOs that uh, are working in this space look up to this data and start putting programs together. It could be quality of life, it could be clinical stuff, different mm-hmm. other things. But on the social innovation uh, side, uh, um, probably start a startup which works in the assistive technology space, which uh, since it's going to be a user-founded uh, startup, uh, where it will be different is, I don't know, have you ever thought while wheelchair is the world symbol of disability as well. Have you ever thought, uh, in my opinion, probably the wheelchair in the last 150 years has never changed in its fundamental design. Yeah. Right? And I'm pretty sure that a smart engineer came up with that idea who never believed that a person with a disability can uh, be in a standing position and still move. Mm-hmm. Why should I always sit and move? I've uh, actually seen something very similar to this where the wheelchair goes up. Goes but then up, that's yeah. for another topic. And yeah, for us yeah, to yeah. <laughs> yeah. Correct. So, so, but, yeah. so I'm basically looking at uh, an affordable, mm-hmm. user-centric, assistive uh, technology design. Right? Not, not something that an engineer comes up with a solution. <laughs> yeah. And they do it and f- try to force fit it on this population. Because a lot of devices are doing that. And, you know, before we end, I want to bring this very important point. Today, you see a lot of NGOs donating wheelchairs, which are not useful for the wheelchair user at all. Mm. Because they go to the surgical shop or a one-size-fit-all wheelchair, yeah. which they don't have any clue about. Give it to the user. And the user also doesn't have any clue. Because they need a device, anything that uh, you get it for free, they get it. And they don't come out, which is why you have these, this population being invisible. If you find, you know, somebody having a wheelchair and still not coming to the community participation, it's very clear that the device, either they don't like it or they can't use it. So we'll have to come up with user-centric, affordable devices that make people to participate in the community. And I'm looking at probably a staff can actually do that with the goal of community participation. I think that's that's what the nice. future. Looks like. I mean, that's I'm lovely. I'm already excited to know more about this, and I'm sure I'm gonna come in annoy you to see what you're gonna do and try and be part of it. I'm sure Shruti is also gonna do this. <laughs> so, um, uh, thanks so much, Justin. We had uh, I think I had such a wonderful and mind blowing podcast today, and uh, yeah, how do we how do we reach you? Uh, uh, how do our listeners reach you so that we can always get to know a little bit more about you? Instagram, all your social media handles, if you can tell us. Yeah, um, Justin Vijay Jesudas is my name. If you uh, do it in uh, Facebook uh, uh, or in Instagram, uh, if there are too many Justins, uh, <laughs> you could probably find the Justin sitting on a wheelchair. That's very easy to find. Uh, so Justin.Jesudas is my Instagram handle. Uh, Justin Jesudas uh, is my uh, Facebook uh, handle. Uh, and again, uh, Justin.Jesudas is my LinkedIn handle as well. Uh, they can reach me in all of these. Uh, uh, Justin.v.jesudas at gmail.com. Uh, Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, dot V, V as in Victor, dot Jesudas, J-E-S-U-D-A-S at gmail. Uh, 
Com is my email address. I'm happy to you know kind of reach in any of these channels. Uh, yeah, I, awesome. I look forward to connecting with you. Awesome, awesome. We're so happy to. We'll. I'm sure lots of people will reach out to you. Thank you for listening to the Thirty Minute Hustle podcast. You can follow us on Instagram for all our latest updates. Until next time, signing off. This is Pranab and my co-host Janish.